Good morning. It's good to see you again. See if I can get all my, my identifiers in the right order. One of the great Christian American music traditions comes out of one of what I would call one of the, the darkest periods or episodes or, or segments of our history. I'm referring to the Negro spiritual. The Negro spiritual is that music that came out of that period of slavery. And it is a music that brought the possibilities and the realities of, of hope and of faith and of freedom to a people who were enslaved and, capt and captured, whatever, captivated, who were oppressed, afflicted. Do, do you know some of those old Negro spirituals? Sweet, low, sweet chariot. Swing low, sweet chariot. Yeah. Any others? Huh? Beulah Land? Okay. Any others that you're familiar with? I've got my list I'm going to read to you, so you can go ahead and, and volunteer. How about some of these? Let me see. And these are ones we, we know. We can sing them. Down by the riverside. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Jacob's Ladder. Let us break bread together. Guess what my favorite Negro spiritual is? I'm not going to sing it for you. Wade in the water. Of course. But listen to the words. Wade in the water. Wade in the water, children. Wade in the water. The Lord's I think it's not the Lord, I think it's God. God's going to trouble the water. Some of you know that. Some of you could sing it, right? Wade in the water. In the New Testament, the word trouble, it's one of those words, it's probably a, a King James word that's lost some, uh, some meaning to us today or, or different understanding. But that word trouble in the, Old Te in the New Testament refers to the, the story at the pool of Bethesda. You know that story, whenever the waters would be stirred, well, that, that word is, is whenever the waters would be troubled. Whoever was in the water would be healed, would be cleansed, would be set free. God's going to trouble the waters. God's going to stir the waters, and that stirring is going to bring about salvation. Life, freedom from that which we are enslaved to. Historians, as they study, and theologians, as they study this, this particular, and, and, and many of the other Negro spirituals would say there's two purposes. There, first of all, there's the, the, the fundamental, foundational spiritual purpose of the song. It, it is a, a song that proclaims spiritual freedom and healing through the saving and through the living water the Spirit of God in our lives. But there's also a second underlying meaning that's related to this particular song. You see, Wade in the Water is a song that offers instruction. Instruction for those slaves that were seeking their earthly freedom through the underground railway. And as they were making their escape and as they were heading north, Wade in the Water was the reminder 
to escape by the streams, the creeks, and the rivers as you pass north. Because that would hide your tracks. It would diminish your scent as the hounds of your master would pursue you and try to capture you again. You see, there's freedom in the troubled waters of the Lord. After 430 years in Egypt, the Lord troubled the waters of the Nile, of the Red Sea. You remember the story, don't you? We kind of picked up on it last week, but I'll I'll review just for a few moments. The ancient world was in a, a great famine And Jacob had sent his ten sons to purchase and to buy food for his his sons and for their extended families because even in the land of Canaan, the promised land, there was great famine and no food. And it was in Egypt that the ten older brothers were reunited with Joseph, the younger brother that they had sold into slavery years earlier. Joseph, by then, was second in control. He was second in power and authority. He only answered to Pharaoh. And thankfully, Joseph had already forgiven his brothers, recognizing in that spiritual battle that he must have gone through the the, the evil intent of his brothers was transformed by the glorious intent of God to preserve and to save the lives of those same brothers and of his father and of their families. Joseph had been empowered to lead Egypt through years of plenty and through years of famine. And because of Joseph's skills and his vision, his leadership, he was able to to reap the harvest of the land in the time of plenty. And he was able to take care of the hungry in the time of need. But in doing so, Joseph acquired a harvest of land and of riches and of livestock for Pharaoh. Our people are starving. Well, you know, if you'll give me your land, I'll give you some food and I'll give you some seed you can plant, but it's my land. (laughs) And so Pharaoh acquired all the, the wealth of Egypt, all the land of Egypt, all the livestock of Egypt. He became incredibly wealthy. So as Joseph welcomed his brothers and his his father and their families to Egypt with Pharaoh's blessing, with Pharaoh's blessing. And with his gratitude, Joseph gave his family the land of Goshen, the best land in all of Egypt, the best land for cattle, the best land for crops. Joseph gave it to his family. And on top of that, Joseph gave his family the livestock of Pharaoh. So they settled in the land of Goshen with more wealth than they could have ever imagined, with the blessing of Pharaoh. And God blessed them incredibly. 
But here's what we need to remember. Egypt was not the promised land. The land that God used to save them during the famine was never, ever intended to be their home. In fact, their father Jacob gathered his sons around him at his deathbed and said, Sons, do not bury me here in Egypt. Bury me back home in the promised land. In other words, when things settle out and you go back to Cana, take my bones with you. Egypt was never intended to be their home. Yet, Joseph and all of his brothers died and were presumably buried in Egypt. Oh, how tempting it is for us to settle into the blessing and prosperity of Egypt even when we are called to live in the land of Canaan. Why, they had the best land. They had the best livestock. Their families multiplied greatly. Why would they ever leave Egypt? God is so good to us right here. But church, Egypt was not the promised land. And one day, everything changed. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. I'll begin in verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply in the event of, and in the event of war they will join themselves to those who hate us and will fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities of Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that when they were in, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel, the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, even more rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Then look over in chapter 2, verse 23. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry for, God, for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. Everything changed when a, a new king in, in Egypt who did not know Joseph arose. And when Joseph was forgotten, the Hebrews' place of privilege quickly became a place of suspicion. They were a threat that needed to be controlled. They were a workforce that needed to be leveraged. They became slaves and their lives were made bitter, bitter with hard labor. Their land of prosperity 
became their land of affliction. After all, Egypt was never intended to be their promised land. The Hebrews felt alone and forsaken. They'd given their lives to Egypt 430 years. They'd poured themselves into that, that country. And they clinged tightly to the life that they had built. But they were not made for Egypt. They were made for a new land. You see, as long as they were happy in the land of Goshen, they would never long for the land of Canaan. And so it came about in those days that the Hebrews cried out. They cried out to God in their pain and in their bondage. And they longed for something different. They longed for a new land. Things had changed. Pharaoh had forgotten Joseph. But let's be clear, God had not forgotten Joseph's people. When they cried out, the Scripture tells us that God heard, and God remembered, and God saw. God knew, took notice, He knew. He, he, he experienced along with them. He knew their sufferings. And the Scripture tells us that God responded with compassion and with strength to deliver the Hebrews from their affliction and to return them to their promised land. Oh, how God troubled the water. Again, church, it's easier to be at home and to settle down into the comfort and the security and the prosperity of life in Goshen. Why would we ever want to leave? But we're not made for Egypt. We're made for a new land. We were made for an eternity, a new heaven and a new earth. The New Testament calls us citizens of a, another kingdom, that we are strangers and aliens in this land. But church, hear this. As long as we are content and happy in Goshen, we will never, never long for Canaan. So as we celebrate our independence and the freedoms that we have as Americans this weekend, let us give thanks, and let us give thanks sincerely for the freedoms and the way of life that we enjoy. But I can't help but think that there's some insight and some application in this story for the church in America today. Let us remember how so many came to America to, uh, to flee. And they continue to come to America fleeing the various famines of our world. Some literal famines. We, we have a history of the potato famine, right? People coming for literal food. But also the famine of opportunity the famines of religious freedom, the famines of prosperity. People for generations have fled to this land. 
The seeds of liberty and the seeds of justice for all were planted in the hearts of our founding fathers and of our founding documents. Yes, some seeds sprouted quickly and they grew to produce a bountiful harvest. The seeds of freedom for others, however, were initially choked out. They fell onto hard ground. This too is part of our history. Life was still bitter and oppressive for many. But through the years, the great cost of breaking up hard ground has continued. Rocks and weeds have continued to be pulled from our culture. And the seeds of freedom have continued to sprout afresh and anew to produce a harvest. Events of these last weeks remind us that there are still, we, there are still weeds and to pull and there's still hard ground to be broken in the pursuit of freedom for all. But let us never forget that God hears the cries of the afflicted and of the oppressed. God takes notice of those whose lives have been embittered by the injustices and tyranny of others. And God is always at work to deliver those who walk through unrighteousness. The Apostle Paul that we read earlier in the book of Galatians says it this way. He said, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Keep standing firm in your freedom. And do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. In Christ Jesus, we find and experience spiritual freedom from our sin and from those who sin against us. This is why the faith of the oppressed is so strong. As we look back in those Negro spirituals, oh, the, the depth and the profundity of their understanding of God and of faith continues to inspire. That's why we sing their songs and those songs even today while they resonate with us. But this freedom that we speak about is not just a, a freedom of the spiritual realm. Those who experienced and live in this freedom also have the power to change lives, to change systems and policies for the sake of good. Let's continue reading. I know we read it earlier, but I want to draw your attention to these powerful verses in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 13. For you, if you're in Christ Jesus, up in verse 1, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And then verse 16, but I say walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Freedom. Freedom comes at a steep, steep price. As Americans, we understand the cost of that freedom. First, through a revolution that brought independence from England. And then almost a hundred years later, 
A slavery-abolishing civil war in which 2% of the American population died in battle. The cost of freedom is great. As Christians, the cost of our freedom came through Jesus who bore our sin as He was crucified on the cross. The cost for freedom is high. But likewise, freedom must be preserved through vigilance, through responsibility. As Paul said, we must keep standing firm. Freedom is not not a guarantee once it is received. Rather, it must be cultivated and nurtured in our lives. Freedom is to be expressed. It's to be strengthened, as Paul would say, in the service, in the loving service of others. Freedom is the building block of community, of society, because it considers others first and how to love and to serve and to meet their needs. You see, this is the heart of Christ. This is the way of Christ, the life of Christ, that we serve one another even at the expense and cost of our own lives. But look what happens when our freedom turns inward. When freedom turns to license. License to pursue the selfish interests and pleasures of the flesh. Well, I'm free to do anything I want. No one's going to tell me what to do. Did you catch how this license is described in verse 15? When freedom becomes license, it is used to bite, devour, and consume one another. This is what happens when when our freedom turns back into that yoke of slavery. License pits us against our neighbor. Freedom builds our neighbor up. So as we look at the events of these last weeks in our country, we, maybe it's just me, we struggle at times to interpret what we see in the media and to know what the right way forward is. But church, let us never doubt again that God hears the cries of the afflicted, the oppressed, the embittered. In the words of the liberation theologians, God is on their side. God is always working to bring about the freedom and salvation of those who are oppressed. And and I would agree, I, I think this is true. I hope it's true. We all want liberty and justice for all. We long for the day When, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, that our children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Church, we must continue to respect and listen to all those who use their freedom to protest peacefully as an act of loving and serving their neighbor. Freedom invites us to understand each other and then to work towards healthy solutions even if we disagree on the details. I have the privilege of working with about five or six married couples. I mean, they're getting married here in a few months. 
And, and that's, one of the, that's one of the founding foundational blocks of marriage, of relationship. You may not agree with each other, but you need to understand each other. Work to understand. And then once you understand each other, then, then work to figure out the solution. It works in our nation too. We, we, we've got to understand each other. We're not going to agree on everything. But if we'll understand in, in a spirit, in a context of, of loving and serving one another, I believe we can see solutions, healthy solutions, as we move forward. But church, the reality is, we've seen a great deal of biting, devouring, and consuming one another over these last weeks. License, not liberty, breeds vandalism and looting. License, not liberty, breeds personal attacks that distract us from and shut down healthy, constructive conversation. License attempts to maintain the yoke of justice upon others or to take it off of me and put it on you. License may shift the burden and the victims of injustice, but it never resolves them. Only true freedom, only liberty and justice for all can bring about the lasting changes that we want. So, we remain in the land of Goshen. We've been here for 244 years. And we have certainly, certainly enjoyed the blessings and prosperity of this rich and fertile land. Yet more and more frequently, new kings who do not know Joseph are rising up in this land. And they are becoming taskmasters of a new way of life, forsaking the way of God. A way of life that leads to biting, devouring, consuming one another. A way of life that focuses on the pleasures and the selfish gains of life. And less and less and less upon serving one another in love. And the more I see, and the more I experience this new way of life, the more... I long for the promised land. The more I long to see Jesus. Church, if we will listen carefully, we can hear the cries, the groanings, the affliction of those around us. And if we would be honest with ourselves, we would even be able to hear the cries coming from our own heart. Can you acknowledge those cries? The hurt from within? Oh, that we would have the courage to wade into the water of faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that He could trouble the waters of our lives and bring healing. 
We do so by receiving the Spirit of God, by allowing the living waters of His presence to flow into every part of our heart, of our mind, of our soul, of our spirit. Setting us free from that which enslaves us. God hears the cries of His people. Will you wade into His waters today? Will you stand firm in the freedom in which Christ has set you free? Let's pray. Father, You are a good God. You you hear our cries. And Father, there's, there's so many crying out today here in this congregation. Those that are at home worshiping online, they're, they're crying out, so many of them, in fear of, of sickness, in, in despair of what they perceive and what they see and sense is going on in our nation. We cry out to you, Lord. We thank you that you hear our voices. We thank you that you see and that you work to bring deliverance, that you work to trouble the waters of our lives. And that's what we need. And that's what our nation needs. That's what our neighbors need. And Father, may we realize that that comes as we serve and as we love them. The power in the name of Christ. Yes, Lord, we, we know that there are, are new Pharaohs rising up all around us that do not know Joseph. But Lord, give us the courage. Give us the strength to wade into the waters and to experience anew and afresh the healing powers of Christ. In just a moment, we'll stand to sing a song that proclaims that we are cleansed in the, in the blood of Christ. And I pray that that prayer would be for you today if we're not inviting people to come down, but I would love to visit with you afterwards or send a, a text or an email so that we can visit and, and have that conversation and pray together. But allow this time for the, the waters of the Lord to, to trouble your heart and your spirit to, to bring about that cleansing and healing that you so desperately need and cry out for. And then reach out to someone and share that with them. Let's stand. Let's sing together.